if you believe in something, let the people that need to hear about it find them. Learn more and more and more by asking questions along the way. Challenge your assumptions while you're moving. Keep moving. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind, Machines, and the Gradient Descent. Thanks for tuning in again to listen and to geek out with us over the fascinating field of AI and the role of humans. We are Uli and Avery, your hosts for this session, and you can be very excited because our genius mind today is Andrea Kolmorgen. She's the Vice President Head of Connected E-Mobility at Siemens Technology and drives the development of innovative technology solutions and business applications that shape the future of mobility and that all according to the rationale, output is your best advocate. So let us create some output right now and get it started. Andrea, we're super happy to have you with us today on our show. How are you and where do we catch you at the moment? Well, thanks for the introduction and, and truly honored to have uh, cleared the background check to join and join the awesome podcast and to get the opportunity to geek out with you guys. Where am I? Well, today I'm actually at home office, working as, as most of us are from, from the office at home. And I just got back, uh, ironically, from my first business trip in a very long time. I went to, to visit one of our teams working on a pretty cool innovation project and so super jazzed about the opportunity to get out of the house, change the wallpaper, uh, as you guys say in, in German. But uh, it's been a good start to the week and to the month. Oh, yeah. Awesome. So, Andrea, if we look on, on your Vita, right, that is uh, what I call an international flavor, I guess, right? You, you've, seen, you've seen them all, it seems to be, right? Finance, strategy, Munich, US. Maybe can you give us a small sightseeing tour? <laughs> what, what is the life and the journey from Andrea and how did you end up going to Siemens? Sightseeing is an interesting way to put it. I definitely have, have uh, you know, tried not to be complacent, tried not to get too bored. But I mean, if you listen to my accent, if you, if you look through my passport, I'm actually American. Uh, so that's where the whole story started. And kind of in my early days, I spent time more kind of growing up, a military kid, playing a lot of soccer, didn't really know what I was going to do once I got into university. Spent some time studying economics, political science, and, and my, kind of my first station in my career after that was in New York City, knee deep in the highs and lows of the subprime mortgage trading. But after, after a couple of years experiencing the 2008, 2010 low points, I would say, I decided to, to skip town, find something a little bit more altruistic, a, a little bit more rewarding, and you know, had a stopover, if you will, uh, in that journey in Barcelona. Went, went back to school, did my MBA in, uh, on the beaches of Barcelona, which was, which was a good time. Uh, and, and it was there that I was introduced to Siemens. So a small little tech company came to visit our MBA program to do some recruiting. Uh, so I decided they, they gave me two job offers. Do you want to join consulting and, and go work in the U.S. again? Or do you want to come to Munich? And I said, hands down. Let's keep moving. Let's keep learning all about adaptability. And I took the plunge and, and, and moved to Munich and spent about four years running projects, mostly M&A related, a lot of post-merger integrations around Siemens, 
got to work a lot with external parties that we ended up acquiring, which was super exciting for me. And and then I quickly got drunk on uh, the challenges of, of, of this mobility revolution that's presenting itself uh, today and kind of haven't looked back since. Wow, what a what a journey. Yeah, you just mentioned like a lot of work, a lot of challenges, opportunities, and especially in this day and age and mindfulness and some digital detox moments are uh, super important to recharge and gain new energy, right? And how do you deal with the current challenging situation we find ourselves in? That's a fantastic question. And I just want to say, you can never ask this question enough. There's there's no one that's too much of a stranger to to ask this question to. There's no one too, too high in the hierarchy, so to say, because it's such an important question to ask these days. And my answer is today I'm doing okay. I, I think I had a, you know, all things considered, had a good 2020. I got married, moved apartments. My new husband got a new job that he loves. but you know, this is obviously trying times, whether it's, you know, the the obvious pandemic uh, as an American facing a lot of topics like racial injustice and, and a lot of other upheaval. And, and I really try to cope with that by talking about it and by also spending a lot of time reflecting on it. And most of the time I do that in the mountains. So either, either a lot of hiking or, or as we're in wintertime, a lot of snowshoeing. Yeah, we, we all somehow explore the new capabilities of just walking outside, right? <laughs> uh, irrespective of how cold it is, I'm I'm consistently exactly. I, I'm consistently shocked by how many people are, are willing to in, in sub zero temperatures walk just yeah. for hours. But really try to find some secluded areas, you know, not just for, for social distancing, but for turning off. But I also I'm an American with with family that's living through um, some of these these current events and, and are quite scared. And my family is back in the U.S., so I don't always digital detox because digital is oftentimes my lifeline back to my family in the U.S. So find other ways to cope. But I'm good. Um, I'm okay. And, and thanks for asking. Great. Great for sharing. Thanks. So I, I've recently stumbled actually also of a nice quote of you, right? You said like the most significant innovations have often emerged in times of crisis. And that's interesting, right? And I also have heard, like, you know, I don't know, Bill Gates, you know, did it somehow in home office alone, uh, you know, some marvelous inventions. Maybe can you share some examples uh, you got actually inspired from the past and maybe also a bit of a bold guess if we are now in a somehow a crisis, you know, what future, you know, what we will gain actually in a positive momentum out of this pandemic? That's a tough one, isn't it? It's tough to look into the crystal ball and talk about it. I, I think it's mostly tough because we're still going through it. We're still very much adapting. You, you, you've got some short-term sustainable fixes that will emerge and, 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 and be more part of our, our daily life. In terms of inspiration, I think military kid, I mentioned that, is so duct tape. Duct tape came from World War II. Do you know the story of duct tape? No, actually not. So, and, and, and for me, the, the, the story of duct tape being innovated um, during World War II is all about perspective. And, and um, I think it was a mother that had, I believe it was U.S. Navy. She had son or sons in, in the U.S. Navy, was working, um, as, as most women did in, in World War II, took up a job and she was packing ammunition boxes somewhere in Midwest America. And, and she thought about her sons 
And she thought about her sons on the battlefields needing to unpack these very bullets in order to basically preserve their lives and, and fight whoever they, they deemed the enemy was. And she found the packaging method quite robust, um, which meant the unpackaging element of it was going to be quite cumbersome. Um, not something that you really want to struggle with when, when you're in such a high stress in, environment. And so this, this difference in perspective, the, the stress, the concern she had over her son's lives led her to invent basically duct tape. I think it was more a fabric-backed adhesive tape pitched the idea to to her bosses. They said, yeah, nice, thanks, but no thanks. And she didn't settle for that. So ultimately, and I don't know if it was a, a direct next step, but ultimately what, what led to the breakthrough was that she wrote a letter to the president. And, and she said, no, this is a huge imperative. It's important that we that we consider this. And, and I, Roosevelt at the time, um, said, yeah, this is this is actually something that makes sense, is critical for our soldiers, and basically issued a decree uh, that this new fabric-backed adhesive was going to be basically overnight implemented. Again, come from a military family, but it's in times where you know we're stretched to our limits, we're pushed into reflecting on things a little bit differently. Um, our perspective changes, and and we think about. Uh, problems and the necessity of life in a different way. And I think that that's really where I was going with with that quote of, of really looking forward to some of the real impact changing innovations coming out of, of what we're experiencing today. And looking forward, I think that there's going to be a lot of things that pop up that are commercial successes that help bring convenience to our doorstep, um, that help automate um, uh, us in this new normal, but but for me, those don't always necessarily incorporate the negative externalities of, of convenience. Nice, well, well put, convenience and then automation, right? Letter aside, but I call you know I call duct tape. I call RPAs actually as the corporate duct tape. <laughs> I mean RPL like robotic process automation, robotic desktop automation. I call them duct tape because you know uh, you have two systems which not speak to each other, and you want to somehow duck it together, right, to make a, mm -hmm. a process digitized. Yeah, uh, that's aside. And and you wouldn't have had that without the innovation of this woman who was concerned about her son's unpacking <laughs> ammunition. There you go. <laughs> you never know. But speaking of challenges, right, you know, there's some stats about 2050, right, um, mm. which estimates that 70% of the world's population will live in cities, right? And uh, given the rebound effect, this will increase, you know, even though we may not need that many of transportations or mobility, even individual vehicles, I don't know, right? But this will increase significantly, obviously, the movement, you know, and the traffic in cities. Mm -hmm. Can you envision somehow a incentive system how a smart reduction actually of traffic in these kinds of volumes, right, of masses of people in large cities are being somehow seduced? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, the one thing about mobility is you're always going to need something to move you from point A to point B. And so when you when you look at these compounding figures, growth figures of urbanization, and, and also you, you, you get a lot of critics at this day and age that say, ah, with the pandemic and work from home, et cetera, uh, we're going to see that trend slow down. We may see it slow down in the near term. Um, and, and we may see it slow down for, for white collar um, occupations. But when we really talk about where these, these 2050 numbers, the 70%, we're not talking about 
the office worker of, of Siemens. We're, we're really talking about a lot of manual labor, a lot of lower income individuals that, that are looking to converge on city centers and, and, and leverage all of the synergetic value that a traditional city as we've known it and, and will come to know it, that, that what that will provide. So you're going to need to come up with different uses of space. How do you incentivize well, there's going to be commercial, there's going to be technological elements to that and societal incentives. Um, and, and ironically, as I, as I went to look at, at a, a new co-working space that's being built, I walked, walked past a, tr- a tree that said, imagine every parking spot is a tree and reflected a little bit about that because it's also what I do on, on a day-to-day basis. How do we get people to really think and move towards that. And that's really, there's a commercial element to it. We, we need to incentivize people to switch their behaviors and it needs to make sense for all of commercially for, for the different actors that can enact these types of change. You're going to have innovations like city tolling. You can raise prices on parking, et cetera, but it really has to be kind of a Venn diagram of these different elements in order to really impact change, in my opinion. So you're active in the field of connected e-mobility. Maybe that's the reflection of that Venn diagram. But maybe can you explain what what is actually connected e-mobility? What is that all about? And maybe we start with the word connected. It sounds like an IoT thing, right? Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on that? Sure. Yeah, connected e-mobility. I mean, it's a it's a Siemens labeling, and really, it's this notion of autonomy, connectivity, electrification, and sharing on the road in particular. And the idea that these forces will converge and really when at this point of convergence, uh, when this happens in, in the future, that this is where ultimate value creation is, is going to be unlocked. But we're not there yet. So disaggregating connected e-mobility. Connected, yes, there's certainly an IoT element of it, but it's about connectivity. Um, so in, in the field of mobility, a lot of vehicle-to-vehicle communication and connectivity, vehicle-to-infrastructure, and, and really looking at the network, both implications, but also advantages, and what one can do when, when you start connecting all of the different assets um, that are moving around, and they're moving both people and goods around a city. How they move and, and our data, our mobility data is extremely valuable and extremely telling about a lot of things in, in our communities. So, so that's one of the areas that connected e-mobility really looks into. But but it's 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 broader than than just the you know off the shelf communication connectivity definition, if you will. All right, that's interesting. And speaking of connectivity, so in the field of industrial AI, that's maybe still one of the biggest challenges, right? <laughs> so where would you say are we today with the vision of ubiquitous smart device or vehicle penetration? Far away. Um, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just got off a call with a customer about this very topic. Uh, no, and, and, and he asked, every time I talk to somebody about autonomous vehicles, they ask, when, when is it coming? And basically the answer, if you take a look historically, our, the entire car fleet turns over 
you know, roughly they say every 15 years. Um, that may accelerate in time and we may see that drop down to, you can see some numbers around 11 years for, for a true turnover. And some forecasts estimate it's actually slowing down. So all that means is that you're going to have very highly intelligent, networked, maybe even autonomous vehicles moving around, leveraging a lot of these intelligent capabilities and, and creating value in a certain way. But you're certainly going to have dumb cars mixed in for my lifetime and our lifetime, a high probability that, that you will still see low networked vehicles for, for quite some time. Um, and that creates you know, another level of complexity, but also another level of opportunity. Any guess, autonomous driving? Is there any time frame you want to put put bold enough out? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Level five. Level five. Let's there say. you go. Let's now, now we're talking. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's it's going to happen. Um, the question is, is when is it going to happen? It will happen in in you know whether it's ten or fifteen years. You will see level five, but you will see level five autonomy in restricted operational design domains. They will be, those ODDs may be in city centers. You may have cities that say, you know, similar to what we've seen on electric mobility, you may see cities that say, okay, going forward in this geo-fenced or either physically or, or virtually geo-fenced area, only automated vehicles are allowed. You will see that in our lifetimes. At scale, different story. Different story, Yeah, let's talk some more easier things. Let's talk about E. <laughs> Moving is awesome, right? And so is transportation. But and we see quite in in different perspective of transportation actually the you know the push towards electrification. Not only on you know because we're talking Tesla and large uh, auto manufacturing committing to you know push towards electrification. What role do you see electrification will play in mobility? Any any thoughts on that? A huge role, such a huge role that at its peak, it should be boring. Really, electric mobility in, you know, if I had a large say in, in the future of electric mobility, I would want it in five years, but maybe 10 years at the latest to be um, just boring. Uh, just just a standard, you know, unless you're a car guy or gal, then then you get real excited about about combustion engines. But most of us don't really spend that much time thinking about it. We care more about the color of a car than we do the engine. And and ultimately, electric mobility for the betterment of the planet, it needs to be that boring. It needs to be that standard as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, I think this needs to be a ubiquitous, so, so globally, and, and it needs to be for passenger vehicles, it needs to be for two-wheelers, three-wheelers, for heavy-duty transport, um, it, it needs to be a, a given. And this, this means that we're going to have to push out a lot of vehicle models so that we satiate everybody's taste, and not just in color, but also in, in terms of design and, and whatnot. But this is, this is a trend that's very much underway. I mean, you hear about it with the, with the new administration in the U.S. Uh, there's more attention and people are coming out of the woodworks to, to jump in line and talk about their electrification programs, which is fantastic. But we as a, a community and a society We need to realize the benefits of electric mobility, which means we need to hold these companies, including ourselves, accountable for the electrification change and, and, and transition. If we want to uh, make electric mobility boring or standard, that would also come along with the urgent need for more charging stations, 
right? So that's also a big challenge. What's your stake on that? Like how will we overcome this challenge? What also gets boring is the chicken and the egg comparison of, of infrastructure and electric and electric mobility. But I mean, it's exciting because Siemens infra uh, Smart Infrastructure, Siemens Mobility, we're doing a lot with both businesses in order to drive this change. And, and in particular, the team under Jean-Christophe and Birgit over at, at Future Grid are focused specifically on this topic electric mobility infrastructure and day by day this challenge that we hear a lot about and gets a lot of coverage and to a certain degree bad coverage in in the press it becomes less of a challenge you've got some bold headline stealing approaches of tesla let's just electrify from from point a to point b oversaturate the highways with Tesla superchargers. And that's great. But we also need to understand that it's it's not just a, an issue of volume, it's also a, an issue of location. There's a lot of statistics that present the fact that potentially in Germany, we actually don't need more charging infrastructure at the moment, but we need it placed in better locations. So That is going to require not that we dig them up and move them, uh, that's that's not economical, but that we do increase and in a more intelligent way, we, we really make sure that the communities that need them and where there is the penetration of electric mobility vehicles and electric mobility needs, that we also match that with the charging infrastructure. And and we have we've got lots of really intelligent minds that are also working with our customers within within this space in order to, to help them with exactly those answers and make sure that government funded programs of of infrastructure don't just end up putting charging posts in somebody's district so that they can attract attention and get reelected. And and so we're really kind of at that point of inflection where it's less about the, it's definitely a volume issue, but it's also an intelligent rollout of this infrastructure. Yeah, well, well put. So we see or we can observe that there are also a lot of cars in the cities and a lot of cars aren't really used and they're just like staying in the parking lots. So how do you envision the trends of shared economy rather than um, everybody owning a car? Critical. I mean, I think that too, we said no no short answers, right? No, no, it's, it's, it's an absolute must. Lots of conversation has filtered into different companies like an Uber, these demand platforms. And we have to make sure that we use this phenomenon responsibly. And what do I mean by that? We've got to reduce vehicle miles traveled. That's a key metric in order to understand, are we actually releasing technology and innovation into this space to make things better? I always say a autonomous electric traffic jam is still a traffic jam. If you don't have people packed into that autonomous vehicle, it's just a quieter traffic jam moving some one butt from point A to point B. We've got to put multiple people, we've got to use intelligent algorithms like demand responsive transportation in order to make sure that sharing is actually something that's used and we don't use just demand platforms for ride hailing. Um, but then just move ourselves individually. So we've really got to bring vehicle population down. That then helps bring vehicle miles traveled down, which has positive impacts on how we use space within cities. 
And ultimately, when you have a different space usage, when you can in time change some of your city planning, you'll find that the benefits of, of using public transport backbones satiate the needs that you have to move around city and urban environments. And then you can start using different vehicles and services to to serve those outside of urban areas and in the suburbs that need to have access or want to have, you know, temporary access into into different services. And so for me it's it's a very, very key element. We there's a bit of a hype because of Airbnb and Ubers of the like, but we need to look in, in especially in the transportation and mobility space, a little bit more clever in time as to how do we converge these different services. Autonomy, not everybody's going to be able to own an autonomous car. So that's going to solve some of the problem. And you're going to see a lot more fleet operators and fleet services evolve when, when those technologies come, come onto our streets. That brings us to the business models, actually. Maybe can you share some of the connected e-mobility business models? What, what kind of aspirations, A, you have, you know, in, I guess, there's a lot of new turf to conquer, right? And maybe second, A, we an AI podcast, right? What is the role of machine learning in, in AI, you know, plays in the space or will play in the future? When you get into this future and for this convergence, you are going to have a lot a lot less vehicle ownership. That's going to mean vehicle as a service. You know, the, the underlying technology is probably going to be more SaaS-related. Uh, um, SaaS um, a lot of ecosystems, so you can then get a platform as a service. So a lot of service-oriented business models are going to ultimately emerge. And those will come. Some of them are relevant today for, for different building blocks of mobility as a service. Uh, but that's going to be an increasing topic of, of development. But where are we realistically right now? Not all of these services are at scale. You don't have maybe the the fleet penetration that that is needed to to turn an economical business case. So some of the early entrants that have gone into mobility as a service, you know, they've they've shifted the same ten companies left and right within their own companies, then sold them out, spun them out, um, maybe acquired them again. So a lot of moving parts in that space, but you're going to see a high orientation towards asset utilization that lends itself nicely to a lot of service-oriented business models. On the point of AI, hugely relevant topic for what we're doing, especially in autonomous vehicle development. Where? We're, we're talking about really deep deep learning, um, neural networks to develop these, these algorithms uh, that, that can basically replace a human in, in a manner that's quote-unquote better behind the wheel, so to say, the, the, the core vehicle controls are going to rely on deep learning. Uh, a lot of supervised, unsupervised learning is taking place in, in this field. And there is, there is a lot to learn. Um, there's a lot that's been done. A lot of capital has flown into this space. But we're talking about the tale of the distribution for proving a safety case. And you want to talk about um, artificial intelligence, it's deep in there and, and, and it's, it's the technology and deep learning neural networks is, is really what's going to be critical for developing this, this final push to ultimately to level five autonomy.
there's a nice saying, you know, ecosystem beats strategy, right? You're coming from strategy and now playing by ecosystems, right? So it, it's placed in the digital and also in the AI space, like this collaboration between partners and it, you know, fast as a new large, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter how big the companies are actually, but because it's what makes you faster, right, has uh, provides the value, and it seems to go. And I guess especially in a, you know, such a cross-domain, cross-field, like, connected e-mobility, right? <laughs> so you per se, right? You need to be, you know, you need to be a master of, of playing the ecosystem. Can you elaborate a bit what's the role rather than that? How do you approach that? And that's an ironic, right? Double meaning for connected um, is is really is ecosystem, and and I think that e-mobility has has a certain traditional structure where you've got some more of the software operator segments, you've got more of the hardware providers, and everybody wants to tap into the the more profitable downstream profit pools, and and that will evolve over time as that as that industry evolves. But when you look at some of the complexity of autonomous systems and talked with a customer recently that that said, you know, this is, we, we used to laugh that this isn't nuclear engineering. And, and now a bunch of nuclear engineers are like saying, no, it's actually worse to solve this, this autonomous systems challenge. And there's a common understanding and a, a real strong momentum in the autonomy space when you, not just because of the commercial constraints, But when you're talking about developing these autonomous systems, the different, the use of simulation, localized movements of, of vehicles and pedestrians in Bogota look different than those in Delhi that look different than those in Hanoi. But we should have the opportunity to have autonomous vehicles in all three and more. Um, How do you do that in a way that commercially makes sense? And who saddles the cost for that? So there's a, a growing understanding, not just from a commercial perspective that we need to socialize the cost, but we also need to socialize solving the problem. Um, so you're getting some of the barriers, they still exist, and core IP is, is being protected and, and quite hardened, but more from a, an element of pride and hard work, and we've put a lot of money into this. But on the other side of the coin, it's really of a, okay, this has a lot of autonomous vehicles are have the potential to save lives. They have the potential to reduce congestion, which, which lend themselves nicely to the topic of inclusivity and accessibility. But how do we do that? We can't do it on our own, which means partners and ecosystems for costs, for the commercial element of it, for the technology to break down the societal apprehension towards an autonomous system running around, whether it's carrying people or boxes or or logs. It's a really cool kind of energy that's really starting to build up. And you're going to need scientific organizations. You're going to need standardization committees. You're going to need fast-moving dynamic startups. And you're also going to need staying power of people like Siemens, um, trusted brands, and all working together and not there's going to be, you know, a certain amount of consolidation, but no one company is going to be able to solve it and, and recoup their investment if they try and go it alone. Right. Uh, well put. So we're already uh, at the final question. Yeah, you, you uh, already gave us some insights into your super exciting journey and you've been 
at so many different places and have pushed crazy challenges and initiatives. And are there some lessons learned uh, that you picked up uh, along your journey uh, that you would like to share with young talents out there who are willing to dare to make a difference in large corporations? I've learned a lot of lessons. <laughs> I've been, I've, I've been. Humbled. No short answers, right? Yeah, yeah, no short answers. I've, I've really learned a lot of lessons. I've been humbled along along the way and and made changes in in order to make sure that I stay true to myself and and my, and my internal compass. What I say to somebody this week, because I think I, I really actually learned something co compelling nearly every day. I go back to my duct tape story write a letter to the president or whatever your equivalent is using that as an example of an uh, for for inspiration if you believe in something let the people that need to hear about it find them learn more and more and more by asking questions along the way challenge your assumptions while you're moving keep moving because you're going to need to adapt your solution you're going to need to get the attention in order to make this a reality It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be easy. You certainly cannot do it alone, but these things can be done, but it may require you writing a letter to the president. Wow. That's a very inspiring way to end the session. Thanks so much for your time and for being with us. It was a real pleasure talking to you and thanks for sharing all those exciting insights. And before we finish this episode, we want to play Authentic Autocomplete with you. That's our final game. So I will give you for the closing a couple of sentence starters and you will just finish. Are you ready? I'm ready. Perfect. <laughs> Siemens is? On the precipice of some really cool technology breakthroughs. Love that. Mobility of the future is? Safe, clean, accessible, and inclusive. Easy one. Easy, yeah. Innovation is? Merely a buzzword if you don't put in the hard, hard work. Right. Um, the world should have more of? Compassionate curiosity more than perceived intelligent rebuttal. Wow, I like that. And last but not least, this is a tough one. If I could invent a rule for everyone in the world to follow, it would be? Self-manage your mute button. Know when you're on mute. <laughs> know when you're not on mute. Behave accordingly <laughs> at the risk of getting kicked out of the meeting if you cannot manage self-manage your own mute button. I, the, the number of times I've said, you know, you're still on. No, Bob, you're still on mute. No, Klaus, uh, yeah. you're, you were muted when you said that. Self-manage your mute button. I love it. I love it. Okay, we'll we'll invent that rule. Andrea, thanks so much for your time. I, I really I find it really so so fruitful in discussion. I'm really glad that you know you are so open, so passionate in sharing and spending your valuable time with us. I really highly appreciate that. Thanks. I appreciate the opportunity, and and like I said, you know, glad I cleared the, the background check. <laughs> and folks out there stay tuned there is a lot more to come i don't know what but it will come right stay bold committed and open-minded and we hear us at the next siemens ar lab podcast <music>